Well, good morning. If you don't already have it, take your Bible, open to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. A few weeks into a, a new series here, and uh, I guess that makes it not new anymore, right? It's worth a few weeks in, but that's okay. I'd like to begin this morning with a couple questions. Uh, in case you're one of those people that thinks, um, oh, he can't be talking to me. He's talking to somebody else, you know. Like sometimes people come to, to me after church and they'll say something to the effect of, uh, <clears throat> like, did God call you this week and tell you what to say to me? Right? I mean, I could take lots of pride in that. I mean, it would be a, a lie. It would be deceitful. But no. Right? I mean, I didn't talk with the Lord, but... Uh, not telling me to say what to say to each and every one of you. But we hear those stories and we laugh at them. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, they're, they're encouraging, not because of me, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our midst. And so I'm always thankful for these stories. And because we know at times those kinds of stories happen, sometimes we just think, oh, this must be somebody else's day. But I just want to tell you, church, this is everybody's day. It's everybody's day. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, try not to reword my question to say something like, have you come to church for a long time or or even are you a Christian? I mean, are you a Christian would equal, are you a disciple, disciple of Jesus Christ? And the second question I want to ask you is, Why? I guess that's 1A. Why are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is it about Jesus Christ that makes you uh, want to follow him, to want to trust his wisdom, to trust his plan? If, If you're not, then I would say, why not? I mean, have you ever tasted something? You're just like, everybody has to have this. Right? And there's some things, you know, my wife made beets the other day, and I was like, why? <laughs> just why? Some things people just really love, and other things, uh, like, you know, beets, most normal people are just like, yeah, no, why? <laughs> but there are some foods, you know. That's just everybody is like, yes, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Why? Why wouldn't you follow Jesus? I mean, a man who came and lived a perfect life, God, fully God, left his throne in heaven and came and left a perfect life, fully man and fully God, to live perfectly in every way so that you might have the opportunity to be made right with God the Father. I mean, there is only one way to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ has never, ever been intended to be something that's, oh, I'm going to pray this when I'm a kid, or I'm going to pray this when I'm uh, you know, 20 or 40 or whatever the age is, doesn't matter. And then I'm just going to go about life. No, J- Jesus changes your heart, which means he changes the way you think. He changes the things that you, the things that you want. So why? Why not? 
Now, as I say that, I see many of you nodding in strong agreement with me. Why? Because, well, you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. And you would agree with me and say, yeah, why? Why not? You would want to walk around and and shout and tell everyone what a wonderful Savior Jesus is and how good it is to be with God the Father and to be empowered with gifts by the Holy Spirit. You would want everyone to know that. You, you want children to know this. You want adults, teenagers, young adults, senior adults. You want everyone to know this message. And I have a second question for you. Are you discipling others with the word? Why? Maybe you answered yes, and, and maybe you answered no, but why? What is it about yourself or others that makes you, you want to get up in the morning and, and you go to work and maybe it's after work, maybe it's on a lunch break, maybe it's in the morning with your family for a few minutes or when you come home and you, you have dinner, I know not every day together, but briefly and you open the Bible and you say, guys, let's read this wonderful, perfect book, God's word. Let's read it for a few minutes and let's, let's talk about it. No, you're not going to, you're not going to drag out your teaching plan and open it up and say point one. No, we open the Bible. We read the Bible. And as we teach and as we help others understand, right? I mean, a, a teacher wants his or her students to understand. At times they want to take another step further and and help them understand how it applies to their life. And so I ask you, why? Why are you getting up and with discipling on your mind, excited to talk to people about the Lord, excited to walk with people through life? Or conversely, why not? Interestingly, when I talk about whether or not you want people, I mean, you're just dying uh, because you want people dying in a positive way. It's because you want people to know what a wonderful savior Jesus is. Almost every head in this room is nodding strongly. And then when I talk about discipling, it gets a little bit uh, less, I get a little bit less engagement. Because the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus Christ is that you get to walk with God each and every day. You get to learn from him. You get to learn from from teachers who teach you the word in a variety of settings and and who help you understand it and, and apply it in your life. And you get to be a part of that with others. You're going to notice something. I'm, I'm using a word that's a little different. You might have expected me to talk about discipleship. And I learned this from a pastor, I don't know, 15 years ago maybe. And I thought it was kind of weird when I heard that too, but it's just this simple difference. Discipleship is the noun that talks about something, that describes something. Discipling is a verb. It's an action-oriented word. And so my question is, are you action-oriented toward helping others both know Jesus as their Savior and continuing to help them grow in knowing him more as the one who helps them grow 
in their relationship. Because there's not one of us in this room that becomes a Christian and says, great, I've got it all figured out. Otherwise, we have wasted a lot of tablets, chisels, and hammers, and scrolls, and inks, and feathers, and papyri, and paper, and fake leather, and real leather, and pages, and billions of dollars. But it's not a waste. Because every word that God has given us in this precious book that's alive, active, is to help us know him more as we understand truth about him in our minds, but also as we begin to apply it to our hearts. And that often comes through a process of discipling, right? It's good that I'm wearing this shirt today and several others are also. That's why we exist to make wholehearted followers of Christ. Wholehearted. Every part of all of who you are over time. Every part of all you are over time. We continually grow in knowing and loving and worshiping Jesus. God has given us gifts to be used to, to deploy in his service as soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we want to use those gifts to help others see ultimately who God is and how he has paved the way for them to become more like Christ. If we, would, if we did away with every single ministry of the church, okay, we're not, by the way, but if we did, and all we had is Sunday morning preaching, it would be my prayer, I know it would be the elder's prayer, that your discipling would just continue right on. And the church doesn't have to schedule it for you to be engaged with another person in discipling relationships as one who disciples and one who is being discipled. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 this morning. And this is an interesting passage because as the apostle Paul is writing, I mean, the apostle Paul is that just that. He's an apostle. He is one who saw Jesus, who, who knew him, who was called by Jesus to plant the early churches. And I'm a pastor, and my, relationship, my, my role as a pastor is a little different than the Apostle Paul's, but there's a lot of overlap between what apostles did and what, what I do. Uh, one difference is I stand on his teaching of the gospel. Right? And I'm not directing anybody here to stand on my teaching of the gospel or standing on the word of God. And so the Apostle Paul is describing some of his ministry in these verses. And I said a few weeks ago that we want to be imitators and those who are models. Right? We want to emulate much of everything that we can from Paul's ministry and how he did ministry. So pay attention as we're reading that, and we're going to draw some implications from this text this morning. The Apostle Paul said, For you yourselves know, brothers, 
And not you, you see, you yourselves or we ourselves. I mean, there's a pretty strong emphasis there. He could just say, for you know, brothers that are coming to you, but he not. He says, you yourselves. In other words, you didn't hear about it from someone else. You yourselves, brothers, know that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For whenever we, for we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Although we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. Join us. Join us in creating a culture for discipling ministry that pleases and glorifies God. Join us. With the Apostle Paul who came and, and in, the, in, the, in the midst of much conflict and struggle and pain... He's teaching the new, growing Thessalonian church how to do ministry or how to create a culture of discipling. Now, there's some language in this passage and elsewhere, too, but in this one where uh, he seems like he's really defending himself. And uh, commentators kind of uh, have some different opinions about this, but I think... Both are true. He's both defending his ministry, but then he's also describing sort of the ethos of his ministry. One of the ways that they were one of the the uh, the, the, the ways that they would speak uh, back in Paul's day would have been to describe how they're wanting people to live by describing how they have lived. And so, yes, there's some ministry defense in there. But the greater point because not, Paul's not seeking uh, his own well-being. He's seeking the well-being of those he's discipling. And so as we read what might read like a defense, 
we want to read it as understanding the message and the model and the manner for discipling ministry, right? There are a lot of things that can vary when we talk about how to do church and discipling ministry. And, and the Bible actually gives quite a bit of freedom uh, in, that, in that way. But there are a few things that, that can't change. The message of discipling ministry cannot change. The message of a discipling culture is the gospel of God. The gospel of God, and if you remember from verse 1, the gospel of God, uh, or he's talking to them as the church of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So to say the gospel of God would be to include God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because that is who God is. The message can never change. And I know that at Oak Grove Church, but I'll always add, by God's grace, the message of the gospel of Jesus, that Christ became man to save sinners like you and me, will never change. We're not going to adjust for culture. We're not going to soften the edges. Am I really a sinner? I mean, do I, I mean, I try to be good. Well, that's the key word right there. Try. You try to be good. I try to be good. Some days, I'm just telling you, sometimes I don't really care about being good or godly. <gasps> Some days neither do you. <clears throat> the gospel of God can never change. This must be the message of all of our discipling conversations. Right, not a church growth strategy. I will tell you, there's a there's a distinct difference between a conversation with someone where you're talking about the message of Jesus, and I, you know, often we talk about gospel and we hear salvation, which is true. But the gospel is for salvation, and then every mo- moment after that in your life, the gospel never changes. Y- your faithfulness, your ability to walk with Jesus is all empowered by God's grace. Yes, we partner with the Holy Spirit as we strive to walk in faith-filled obedience, but it's never devoid of God's grace and mercy and the Spirit's power. So Paul says here, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in much conflict, in the midst of much conflict. And then he, he, he begins to talk a little bit about his motives. He says, our appeal does not spring to you. I keep saying the word spring. Oh, there it is. Yeah, spring. There it is. Good. Our appeal, yeah, that had the wrong word. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, I want to just camp on these things for a few moments. Paul, Paul notices or highlights some negatives, and then he kind of moves to some positives. Not exactly in that order, but that's the general idea of what he's talking about. All right, he says... It doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Have you ever talked with someone about the faith? And I'm not talking about like the deep things of the word of God. I'm talking about the faith. And in the midst of that conversation, you get the sense that they might think I'm wrong. 
Have you ever had a conversation where all of a sudden you realize that this conversation was going to be confrontational? I don't mean ugly. I don't mean mean, but it's about to get harder. Before I was uh, in, in vocational ministry, I uh, served in, at a church in Tennessee um, as part of their youth band, but I had a, a full-time job um, <clears throat> in uh, just corporate America, and uh, I had the privilege of talking with a lot of people about the gospel then. And I remember, you might remember when Richard Marceau was here a couple Sundays ago. Um, and he talked about a, a man who spoke really directly to him. And I came up and I said, well, I had that man too. His name was Richard. It was a different Richard, but. And I had a conversation in the hallway of our church and I just, I, I was surrendered to the ministry. Uh, I wasn't loving my job. And, uh, you know, sometimes people going into ministry, that's all they can think about is being on staff somewhere. And I was kind of in that place. Uh, in other words, I wasn't content with where God had me. And I remember meeting Richard in the hall one day, and he said, Hey, Matt. I said, Hey, Richard. Um, it was in Tennessee, so it was probably like, Hey, brother. Hey, brother. This is good. We're brothers in Christ. It's good. And so, Hey, Matt. I said, Hey, Richard. He said, How you doing? I said, I'm good. He said, Hey, how's your ministry? I was like, oh, it's really good. You know, youth band is going well, and this is what's going on, and da da da. And he's like, oh, that's great. I'm glad youth band's going well. That's really cool. And he said, uh, that's great. He said, hey, how's your ministry? I was like, okay, I, I know sometimes a little slow on the uptake. How's your ministry? It's like, it's going pretty well. The, the, the youth group Sunday school class is going well, and I'm really enjoying it. I think I was going through Hebrews with them at the time, and and he's like, oh, that's really great. Oh, I love hearing that. That's awesome. How's your ministry? I was like, man, this guy is not listening. I'm like, well, the college ministry is going really well, and this is what the Lord's doing in, in this group of guys and our accountability group. And I mean, it's pretty neat. It's really, it's really going pretty well. And I mean, I'm learning. I'm growing. Apparently, I'm still a little thick in the head, but learning and growing nonetheless. And he's like, oh, that's really great. Yeah, you can say it with me. Ready? How's your ministry? At that point, I was just like. How's your job? He said, Matt, I know you can taste being on staff at a church somewhere more than anything. But every morning you get up and you go to work and you rub shoulders with some people who love Jesus, but most of whom do not. You be content where you are and you continue ministering. My entire outlook on my day time ministry at work changed. I had conversations with people where we'd get into the conversation and all of a sudden it would be a time for talking about 
the fact that Jesus alone can help them with what they're wrestling with. And I remember moments where all of a sudden I was confronted with, what are they going to say after I say this next phrase? And in those moments, I had to choose who who I was going to serve. Their opinion of me or the fact that I knew that my message to them was really just God's message and I'm just in the middle. And my message, God's message, did not spring from error. Because I know that the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and it's a message that I would die defending. And so in those moments, I knew that when we would be confronted with the reality of truth, not subjective truth, which is not truth, they would be confronted with truth. And not everyone wants to be confronted with truth, no matter how kind you are. The appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive. Like, why would I give my life? Why would I be, why would I willingly face persecution? And then as soon as they let me out, go back out and say the same thing again. Why would I do that? Unless I knew that I wasn't seeking to deceive anyone. I wasn't carrying a message with anything that was inauthentic. But as one who's been entrusted by God, and if you are a follower of Jesus, friends, you have been entrusted with God. I'm sorry, by God with the gospel. And so we speak, friends, you speak and I speak not to please man, not to please man, not to make people like us but to please God. Why? Well, one, we love him. We know that he knows our heart. We know that he knows the motives of our heart, why we want to have such a conversation, why we want to be engaged in discipling kind of ministry, why we might not want to be engaged in discipling ministry. So we... Speak to please God who tests our hearts. He says, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. So he's, he's called them as witnesses and he's called God as witness. He just doesn't use the word with them. Remember, you yourselves know how we came to you. And he speaks about the things that they, that they don't do. They don't speak to please man or use flattery. Proverbs 26, 28. I just want to ask you to, I don't want to get too far off track here, but it really matters. Because sometimes we are tempted to say uh, something that we know would flatter the person we're speaking to so that they'll give us a hearing. Now, if it's true, wonderful. But if it's not, it's lying. And he's already said, we don't come with deceit. Either about the gospel or our motives for how we come to you. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Are you one of those people you walk around and we see people? Oh, hey, how you doing? And everything's all smiles. And then, 
almost as soon as you turn around, it's like, oh, brother, so glad I don't have to go home with lunch to lunch with them today. I mean, you might, you probably don't say it like that, right? You're probably better performance than that, but Paul says, that's not our ministry. That's not our aim. We're not flattering you. We come with a genuine motive because we love God. I'm not motivated by, by greed or any such thing. I'm not seeking glory from people. Paul lived with a, a God word focus. He wanted to glorify God at a heart level. That was his motive. Why do you do what you do? Because I want to bring glory to God. Not because I think I'm super awesome at always bringing glory to God. Anybody with me? But because I want to bring glory to God. Pleasing God ought to be our goal at every level of our heart. That means all of who we are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's just another way of describing the fullness of of who you are. So he speaks about the the message of discipling, the message of, of creating a culture of discipling, if you will. And then he speaks about the model for it. And then he speaks about the manner, or I'm sorry, the motive for it. And then he speaks about the manner of discipling. I'm going to start reading in verse six and continue from there. He says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. Now, his manner of ministry here is this. He knows the authority that he has from God. He knows he's an apostle. That is an authoritative, overseeing, church building and planting role in the church. And he says, we didn't come to you making demands, though we could have. So he's not, that's not the leading edge. But he is reminding them, not as a power trip. He's reminding them because he's reminding them that it's God who sent him. It's God who sent him. It's God who approved of him. It's God who entrusted him with the gospel. But rather than make demands, we were gentle among you. We were, we were a gentle, we were a gentle among you, like a mother nursing mother taking care of her own children. What an interesting picture. Because I just want to tell you something. Uh, when we do like a men's breakfast, I'm not usually looking in the word to come in and go, yes, men's ministry. Hey guys, we're like a nursing mother taking care of her children, you and me. He's saying, I have a really evident gospel love for you. Willing to set aside my own comforts, willing to set aside my own priorities for God's priorities. Why? For you. Well, why? Because God called me to you. Yeah, but what about us made you want to come and see us? Oh, I'm not going to flatter you. I'm just going to tell you, God called me. He made me an apostle. He gave me the gospel. It's the only message I can bring. And with a pure motive and with a genuine desire not to come and bring impurity or anything that is anything less than the full truth of the gospel of God, I come to you because God sent me. 
I, I love when people um, ask me about moving to Iowa, you know. I'm an Air Force brat, so I kind of, you've heard this before. I've, I grew up just kind of all over the place. And, and uh, well, why'd you come here for my church? I mean, do you have family near here? No, actually, my family's like, they're in Oregon. They're in East Coast. Yeah, they're really far away. Well, why'd you come here for my church? Why'd you stay here? <laughs> For my church. Many of you I never met until just a handful of years ago. I have the privilege of opening up the word. And there's a, there's a challenge about pastoral ministry, whether it's as a pastor or as an elder. Any, any discipling ministry, it actually applies to just Christian living in general. But preaching the word of God is an act of faith. Because I'm not that eloquent. feel like I'm doing too many things and not doing very many of them well. I've told somebody recently this week. That's not a complaint, by the way. I love everything that I'm doing. When I stand up on Sunday mornings and I open this word to preach it, my prayer is, God, would you take your word, embed it on the hearts of your people, Change them. Change me. When I ask, are you involved in discipling ministry? Some of you feel like that's a guilt trip because I talk about it a lot. And I would just say, like, if you want me to stop talking about discipling, you're going to have to fire me. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> no, I'm serious. We are creating a culture of discipling ministry at Oak Grove, not because it's unique to Oak Grove, because it's what God's people do. And it looks different. Sometimes in different locations, different places, different people engage in discipling ministry a little differently. Why? Because we're each given unique gifts to be used in his service. If you need help with it, come see any of us. That's what we're here for, to equip you for the working of ministry. Well, I thought that was your job. No, I have a different job actually than you have. My job, the elder's job, is to equip you for the working of ministry so that the church would grow up into Christ who is our head. And your job is to do the work of ministry. Now wait, pastor, I thought we hired you to do all this stuff. I know. 
But that's okay. Preaching the word is an act of faith because guilt is a terrible motivator. I don't want to guilt people, but I do want to implore you with Paul who made an appeal. Let's be about God's business for God-honoring motives and to the very best of our ability according to the manner that we see God has laid it out for us in his word. If we add numbers to this church, but you're not growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus, not through performance, but through love. That's not the aim. But if you will grow in your love for Jesus, if you will take steps of faith outside of your comfort zone to help create a culture, to cultivate a culture of discipling ministry, God will grow you. God will grow this church, I believe. I said preaching is a work of faith. So is discipling ministry. I've had days, and I still do, where I used to try pretty hard to compel people to do certain things. And I've just learned that it's, I mean, like, I can't compel myself to do some things. How am I going to compel somebody else? I mean, I could. I mean, I could employ some tactics. It's not going to last. And so we try to, Suss out who wants to change. We try to see who's desiring to grow. Or, or who's desiring to grow, but they just feel stuck. I hate pe- seeing people stuck. So do you, most of you. If you are driving down the road and you see somebody stuck on the side of the road, most of you are going to stop. And you're going to pull over and you're going to either help them push it out or you're going to hook up to them and pull them out if you can. Well, that's an aspect of discipling too. You see somebody stuck. How can we help them grow? I mean, just think about it and then I'll wrap up. If someone is stuck on the side of the road and you want, and I'm not making fun. I'm, 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 I'm going to be trying to, yeah, but somebody is stuck on the side of the road and you just go over to them and say, you are stuck. And your car is getting muddy. Right. You need to get unstuck. Right. Can you help me? That's my question to you. Will you love God's people, some of whom we know and are here now, some of whom we don't know, we've never met, but they may come one day and say, I don't even have to know you that well to know that God has endeared my heart to you. I'm affectionate. Paul was not a girly kind of guy. He says, I am affectionately desirous of you. That means there is evidence in my life of a 
love for you that flows from pure motives. And I want to work to help you. I want to come alongside of you. It's why I went through what I went through to get here. How do we know this? Because he says we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives. And I just want to tell you, friends, I love sharing my life with other people, but I can only share my life with so many. I want to share my life with you so that you can share your life with one another first and you can share your life with others. Why? Because we have been approved by God to be called disciples of Jesus Christ. We've been given a message. We've been given a a black and white or, or red and white text to know that it flows not from any impurity, not from any error. There are no questions that every word of God in its original languages is true and that we can walk confidently holding open that book and talking with people and saying, I want to teach you the word of God. I don't know it that great, uh, but I'll teach you what I know. And some of you know the word really well, and you're going to teach the word or you are teaching the word. Fantastic. But we're teaching them the word of God. We're sharing with them the word. I'm sorry, the gospel of God, the truth of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because they're dear. What makes them dear to us? Men and women created in God's image to live for God's glory. And so we're seeking to create, to cultivate a culture of discipling ministry. We're not going to just talk about discipleship. We're creating a culture of discipling ministry. And I want every one of you to be a part of it. When we baptized Frankie, I don't know how long ago that was, Frankie, but we watched watched the video afterward. I I I should have had it queued for today. I didn't think about it. And I remember spending time with Frankie and Jessica and just talking with them and getting to know them and hearing just some challenges of their life. I mean, what, what legitimate struggle, what real... Uh, struggle. Sorry, Frank, I'm talking about you right here. It's not gossip, though, because like it's right to your face. (laughs) And when we got in this baptismal pool together and we watched this video, it just brought back to all these memories of how God had made the Doolin family so dear to me. And we're watching Frankie's baptism video and he's patting me on the back because I'm crying. We watched it at home and Sherilyn's like, he's comforting you. (laughs) But isn't that how it goes? I said to you at the end of the day, if I could share these tears with you, I'd want you to have them. Not because I don't wish for every moment that I got to spend with Frankie and Jessica and Bree and the kids and talking about Jesus in their life. No. Guys, I want nothing more than for you to experience Christian living like this. It's what we're made for. And it's what we're going to pursue. Not because of some strategy.
Go therefore into all nations and preach the gospel. Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe, not only know, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Let's stay focused on what God has created us and placed us here for.